Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for April is brought to you by Airlock, secure cloud hosting made simple. With supercharged performance and the most reliable security in the cloud, Airlock is the perfect home for your apps and websites. Host your next project on Airlock, and they'll manage your security around the clock for no extra charge. Go check them out at airlock.io. My guest this week is Patrick Roan who is a commentator and writer and also the curator of the website Minimal Math and author of books including Keeping It Straight and Enough and a great compilation of Minimal Math posts. Um, how you doing, Patrick? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, also a fellow Minnesotan. Uh, yes. This is a... This is a Minnesota edition of uh, Systematic, as uh, both uh, uh, both Brett and I uh, live in the uh, the great white white state of Minnesota, the great white north. It's and still, still somewhat white outside, actually. I've got three feet of snow on the ground still. Wow, really? You yeah. got that down there still? Yeah, it's just, we, just now starting to melt. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of melting up here. Oh, lucky Here's you. one thing that's true about Minnesotans. We can talk about the weather. Uh, for like long periods of time, the show could be about nothing but the weather. I think I start every podcast asking my guests how the weather is where they are, so I can be jealous. <laughs> yes, because wherever it is, it's always better than it always. is. No matter what time of year, it's always better. <laughs> and I and I think Minnesotans take a certain pride in having the worst weather. Well, I think we I mean, have to. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, cause you either take pride in your ability to survive it um, or I mean, what? Or you move. Or you move, right? You get out because <laughs> otherwise there's no point. Right? I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty much on the verge of moving myself. Oh, man. I've lost the survival instinct. Ah, dude. Uh, after this past weekend, I've learned I can survive anything. Yeah. So you did. Uh, it's called the Go Ruck Challenge. Go Ruck Challenge, uh, yes. And and um, what exactly is that? The Go Ruck Challenge uh, was uh, actually it was born out of some product testing. There's a company called Go Ruck um, that makes these kind of military grade uh, backpacks. It was started by this ex special forces guy who wanted to make a a, a backpack or in military parlance a ruck uh, that uh, kind of meet. Uh, not only his standards, but meet the standards and could stand up to the rigors of some of the scenarios that they went through uh, when he was in special forces um, and special ops. Um, And so, um, you know, he made these things and, you know, kind of needed a way to kind of test them by uh, engaging them in some of those scenarios. And of course, you don't want to actually take these things and put them out in a real world situation where lives depend on this stuff working, you know? And so what you, you know, kind of, you know, what he figured out was, well, let me, you know, throw this pack on, load it up with, with gear and kind of try to simulate some of the scenarios that we go, we go throughout in the field. Um, And one thing leads to another, it grows and it becomes basically takes on this entity all on its own. Um, uh, where uh, folks like little old me uh, can pay them some money, <laughs> uh, sign up and register um, to uh, take the Go Ruck Challenge, where we wear um, a backpack, a ruck. Um, they, you know, prefer that you wear a Go Ruck, of course, but you don't have to. Um, 
And uh, uh, if you are uh, over a certain weight, you are under a certain weight, you have four bricks in your pack. If you're over a certain weight, you have eight bricks in your pack. I'm sorry, six bricks in your pack. Um, so packs uh, can be anywhere between, say, 30 and 50 pounds. Um, you know, because you're going to have other gear and stuff like that, too. And then you kind of go through some of the scenarios that they uh, went through, and everyone is different, and each one is led by uh, a cadre, um, uh, and that cadre is always uh, someone who is ex-special forces. You have to be, you have to, or even active. Uh, they have a few uh, cadre that are still active. Um, like in the case of the Marines, oftentimes uh, Marines are always active. You're never inactive. Right. You can always be kind of called up once you're a Marine um, in some situations. So, yeah. Um, and they take you through this course um, that they you, you don't know what it is. They give you the start point, the usually about a week ahead of time. And you show up at that start point and follow orders until it quits, <laughs> until the pain stops. And so this was uh, Saturday and started at one in the morning. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, we started at uh, Walker Art Center, which, if you're in Minnesota or have been to Minnesota, you, you kind of know where that is. Um, and uh, yeah, we started over in Loring Park uh, with some uh, PT uh, in the snow and ice uh, that, that had not yet melted. Um, so push ups. Uh, uh, squats with our rucks held high over over our heads, um, uh, low crawls, bear crawls. Um, uh, I mean, just yeah, you name it. Um, flutter kicks, uh, whole nine yards, and then so a couple hours of that, about two hours of uh, you know getting nice and wet and cold, um, and then uh, it started to thunderstorm. Um, and, uh, so the cadre decided we had some wounded we needed to carry from Loring Park over about, uh, about two and a half miles, uh, over to, uh, the, uh, uh, I'm not even sure which bridge it was. I think it was Franklin Avenue bridge. At that point, <laughs> at that point, I would be one of the wounded. You would be carrying me. Yeah. <laughs> well, he picked the wounded. I was actually one of the wounded. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they had to carry, you know, our group of 33 uh, had to carry 11 of us, uh, figure out a way to carry 11 of us in a thunderstorm, uh, you know, two miles and change. And, you know, there were some bear crawls after that. We carried some of those uh, concrete uh, parking barriers. Um, you know, when you you know, pull up into a parking space, those concrete barriers. Yeah, those uh, aren't meant for carrying. Yeah, someone, yeah. Someone we, lied to you. Right, yeah. So four of those. Um, so we had to split up into teams and kind of figure out the best way to, to carry those without uh, killing ourselves. Uh, those are probably a good 300 pounds a piece uh, would be my guess. Um, uh, maybe four. Um, and then uh, from there, uh, we uh, dropped those off. Those were our, our nukes that we had to rescue. Um, and then we had to uh, save some more American lives by picking up some IEDs um, in the form of uh, two uh, fallen trees uh, that we then had to carry uh, for another four to five miles. Actually, the, so the concrete we carried for five miles, then the trees we carried for another four miles or so. So let me ask the obvious question. Yeah. Why? (laughs) Um, Well, uh, 
uh, you know, I, what I told my wife was, you know, cause I'm 45, I'm an old guy, you know? And so I said, well, you know, here it is. I can either get the sports car and the 18 year old, or I can do this, you know, pick your midlife crisis. Which one would you prefer? Um, I, I, mine is not the, uh, <laughs> not the go rock. No, don't let your wife hear that. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, a big part of this was just to prove to myself that I could get into the condition to be able to do this, number one. Um, number two, you would be surprised to find out that although the challenge is certainly physical in nature and you have to be in good physical shape to do it, to actually get through it, you have to be in really tip-top mental shape. It really is all mental. Um, it is when your body is at that limit pushing it beyond. It is when you want to quit, and trust me, I wanted to quit at least a couple of dozen times throughout this thing. Like I, the, I can remember specific moments where I literally said, I, I can't. I spoke it aloud, right? Um, um, yet I did. Um, and I did because, thirdly, um, this is a team event. This is not a race. This is not about individuals coming and competing to find out who's the strongest, biggest, bestest, whatever. This is about um, a, getting a group of individuals together and beating them down until they build themselves back up as a team. And uh, the fact is, is that it's not about you. Um, you look to your left, you look to your right. It's about those people. It's about getting them through. And the moment that you put your mind into that mindset that if you quit, you're not letting yourself down. You're letting those people down because now they have someone that they were relying on to help get them through that's not going to be there, right? And the nice thing is, is that it goes in reverse too. Those people are there for you. So every time I said, I can't, there was somebody who said, yes, you can, right? Yeah. Um, and there was, uh, uh, you know, probably one of my you know, biggest takeaways from this was um, – uh, there was a young lady there who had done um, the challenge last time it was here. And I was supposed to do that challenge too, but broke two toes during the course of training and had to bow out. Um, but she did it last time and she was back again. Um, probably one of the toughest people I know. Um, and because of the wet and the cold and the snow, um, hypothermia began to set in. Like I could, I could watch, I watched her starting to go hypothermic. Um, and, uh, and between, um, you know, a couple of other people on the team, um, and I took off my, um, my rain jacket and gave it to her for extra warmth. Um, and basically, I mean, she had every reason and right to quit and was like right on the edge of saying it had even like said it to the, to the cadre and the cadre was, was like, you know, are you sure? And I like stopped her and said, look, I will get you through this. If you quit, we quit together because I have failed you if you quit. Right. And she stuck it out and she made it through. And that's what it's about. So, and, and you, you sound good. You sound like, like you survived this. Um, yeah, I survived. <laughs> my takeaway 
is that loyalty and responsibility to others can keep you in really bad situations. <laughs> or it can take, teach you the most important lesson of your life. Right? Sure. And, 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 and in this case, I think it, it was a valuable lesson. I think, I think in a lot of cases, that kind of mentality does keep people doing things. It's almost a sympathy thing. Like you don't leave a bad job because you feel like you'd be leaving other people suffering in a bad job and make it even worse. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to in any way denigrate your experience because it sounds amazing and I'm, I'm amazed that you did it, but I, yeah, that, well, but let's get to that job thing. Cause that's something I've been thinking a lot about and something I've been writing a lot about. Right. And that is this. Or what you could be doing by leaving that bad job is opening up the opportunity for the person for whom that's a great job. You know what I mean? Like, just because it's a bad job to you doesn't might mean that it might be a great job for somebody else. That, right? I could see that. And that oftentimes, um, you know, we find ourselves in those situations, like you said, where where, you know, we're sticking with this job, even though it sucks, even though we hate it because it's helping our family you know, or, you know, I don't know where I'm going to find another job or, um, you know, this, that and the other, you know, what I'm going to do if I quit this job, how am I going to feed my family, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And while all of that is noble, I'm not going to knock it. The fact is, is that if you're in a bad job, you're spending, you know, a third of your life at this place, at least a third in America. We oftentimes spend a lot more than that. Um, you mean to tell me that that misery, that that unhappiness is not bleeding over into and affecting these, those other areas of life? You mean to tell me that life has so much unlimited time that it's worth feeling that way and being in that position? I certainly don't mean to tell you that. Yeah. And well, and, and so, you know, I think oftentimes we use, we use our feelings about being a good quote unquote team member, whether that's contributing to the family, feeding the kids, making sure that you have a nice house or nice this or nice that as an excuse to waste away the, the, the biggest, most important, um, yet completely unreplenishable resource that we have, which is time. Yeah. And the fact is, is that the sooner we leave that place, not only will we be happier, not only will the people who love us, and if they really do love us, they want us to be happy above all else. Right. I hope so. Make, I would hope so too. And if that's not the case, maybe you're in the wrong relationship. Um, they, you know, they will be happier for it. But more importantly, like I said, you never know. There may be someone out there for whom that's the perfect job. And now you've allowed them the opportunity to do it. And now you have allowed yourself the opportunity to go out and find the same for you. Perfect. I'm going to take a sponsor break and then we're going to talk more about what you're currently writing. Okay. All right. Um, Hover.com is simplified domain management. 
You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com or maybe a CO or TV, uh, a .tv, not an actual TV. <laughs> if, the, if, if the .com you want isn't available, you can get a .net, uh, which is the alternative to .com that really has become universally accepted. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you want into their search box and Hover will tell you if it's available. If it's not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords and Hubble will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like your own personal domain name concierge. Uh, they have real human beings available for support and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code DANSENTME or visit Hover.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from Hover.com. All right. So, yeah. you're, so you're, you're writing your fourth book right now. I'm kind of in, in the beginning stages of it, yes. Uh, probably about a fifth to a quarter of the way through the first draft. Um, uh, yeah. Writing, uh, and I haven't quite quantified it all yet, and that's a problem. Uh, but basically, it's about um, finding out what you want by finding out who you are. Right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of um, uh, people kind of stumble through life right you know they kind of stumble into this job or stumble into that job or they they choose this path or this other path based upon um not really like we discussed their own personal happiness but like you know oh this pays more money or you know this brings more prestige or this will allow me to pay off my student loans or you know i went to college for four years for this only to discover that it's not for me, right? You know, and what do I do since this is what I've just paid, you know, I don't know, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars to to do, right? What is that statistic that I think it's like eighty percent of current college graduates don't go into the fields they studied? Yeah. At least at least in undergraduates. Well, and you know, um I'll tell you one of the most insightful and educational experiences that I have had was actually working at a college. I, I, I was the uh, head uh, Mac guy at Carleton College, Northfield, um, for four years, over four years. Um, and uh, uh, that was just a really fascinating experience. For one thing, Carleton's just an incredible school. Um, it's, it's one of the top um, one of the top liberal arts schools in the country. Um, uh, and they, the students that Carleton attracts are just some of the most um, interesting, passionate, um, curious um, young people I think I've ever, I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it's really wonderful to be around that kind of environment and very inspiring. It gives you a real hope for America that really doesn't exist uh, out there. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, to see, you know, uh, 18, 19, 21, 22 year olds, you know, who are 
you know, smart and interesting and curious and such is just great. In any case, I digress. The the bottom line is this. Um, one of my most memorable experiences was a uh, young student by the name of Sarah. Um, and she was one of my student workers, had been one of my student workers uh, for the four years uh, or for three of the four years I was there. Um, and, uh, at graduation time, she, uh, came into my office and, you know, sat down kind of just to, you know, hang out for a little bit and say goodbye. And it turned into this literally three hour discussion that ranged, you know, I mean, it was one of those kind of my dinner with Andre conversations because it just kind of free flowed and went all over the board to like, you know, politics, religion, science, you know, um, uh, art, and it's just everywhere, right? And so we uh, get to the end of it. Now, she was a, um, her degree was in physics, um, and, and specifically, um, she had done a lot of study and had done her thesis on um, uh, nuclear waste storage. I read the thesis, and it's probably one of the most fascinating <laughs> approaches to it that I, I think I've ever read. Not that I've read a lot, but, you know, I don't have a lot to compare it to. But we get to the end of the conversation. I'm like, well, so, you know, what's what's next? Have, you know, uh, go work for some big energy company? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you got the offers rolling in. She said, well, you, you know, yeah, I've gotten a few and they've been very nice and such. But one of the things I've discovered that while I was here that I'm really passionate about is art. And it was a whole side of me that I had no clue, uh, you know, that that existed until I came here and, and discovered it. Um, and so she planned on actually going and getting her MFA in art. You know, I just thought that was just fascinating. And it's one of the things I always appreciated about Carlton because Carlton's job, what you pay Carlton for, um. And, and kind of what they sell um, is they commit to giving each and every student a well-rounded liberal arts education so that you are exposed to everything, so that you have the opportunity and ability to choose any path you want. And I think a lot of a lot of colleges these days, um, and a lot of universities, I should say, you know, with a university, you're almost always pressured to pick a major, usually sometime, you know, freshman, sophomore year. And then focus on that, quote unquote, major, you know, whereas a good college um, should. Yes, you should have a major, but that shouldn't. That shouldn't be your, you know, you should have some leaning towards that major, but you should still be exposed to everything possible. And you should be allowed at any time to say, nope, this isn't me. Now that I've seen this, I realize that this is, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think that that's a wonderful thing because I think, you know, one of the things we lo- we lose, oh, geez, sorry about the phone. That's I usually okay. f- try to hide that thing uh, when I do podcasts, <laughs> but then I forget. Oh, well, we're going to let it ring. Okay. Um, and so um, one of the things that I've been, you know, thinking a lot about is this idea that, you know, as children, we allow ourselves and the world allows us to dream of being anything we want to be, right? 
I mean, as a kid, you know, when a kid says, you know, well, you know, I want to be a fireman when I grow up, we don't say, oh, well, you know, that's a really dangerous job and, you know, it takes a lot of training, a lot of hard work. You might not be in the right physical condition to do it. And, you know, and actually, you know, there's not a whole lot of firemen slots available. It's kind of competitive, especially in some cities. And, uh, you know, we, we don't we don't uh, we don't have to because dreams get crushed by reality along the way. So everyone just encourages the shoot, shoot for the moon. And by the time you get to college, you realize there's really no way you're ever going to the moon. Right, right, right. See, and that's a notion I wholeheartedly reject. And I'm going to, uh, you know, one of the big reasons, things I'm writing in this book, one of the, one of the big ideas is that the Internet proves that that is not true. Right. You know, uh, I wrote a post recently about this very thing about, you know, how, yeah, you want to be an astronaut. You want to be a, you know, uh, one example I used is I want to be a kangaroo. Mm, I don't think that's realistic. I, if my child said that, I would have to uh, lay out a, a little bit of, I don't know, reality. Well, here's, but, here's, but, but here's do what expound. I did. Do expound. Well, well no, here, here's, here's, here's what I did when, you know, someone said that to me as kind of a joke. Um, you know, I want to be a kangaroo uh, when I was talking about this on the uh, app.net, you know, the social networks. Um, oh, that P, that uh, episode with Dalton was great, by the way. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, um, but, um, yeah, in less than three minutes, I Googled and found a guy who lives as a kangaroo. That's his job. He teaches he teaches kangaroos that have been in captivity or whatever how to be kangaroos again. That's amazing. He is functionally a kangaroo. So this is what I mean. The, for everyone who says you can't, all it takes is a two-minute search to find out the <laughs> fact you can. You That's can. Awesome. That's and, awesome. And, 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 and any time anyone says you can't and there's an example of you can, they are lying. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let the world lie to you. The internet gives us the power to find the truth. I wanted to be a geologist. I was convinced as a child that I was going to be a geologist. And everyone encouraged me. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I collected, my parents hooked me up with like uh, uh, graduate students that were like archaeologists and geologists. And I spent like from the age of six or seven hanging out with these like professional people in the field that I wanted to go into. I learned so much. It was amazing. But then I, I things, I don't know, things changed, I guess. But I, I do think that with the proper encouragement, you could achieve just about any, any childhood dream, even kangaroo. Now that you mentioned it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now that you've proven that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, a superhero, right? It took me, you know, uh, I want to be a superhero when I grew up. Guess what? There's a whole, like, you know, little society, little club of professional superheroes. And we're not just talking about people who dress up in superhero costumes for cosplay cosplay or for, uh, you know, to go to kids' birthday parties. There's actually a whole group of, of, 
of people, they actually have formed a, I don't know what to call it, like a society, like a club, like a organization. Um, they help to fight crime. They're neighborhood vigilantes that dress up and, you know, and, and also help to like do good deeds. They, you know, collect items for food shelves or they, you know, help little old ladies across the street and whatnot, you know, but yeah. I mean, they, this is how they like, this is what they do. So how like, late is, is their job? <laughs> how late is too late to start dreaming? If someone was say, I don't know, 34 years old and, working in tech and they yeah. decided they wanted to be a superhero. At what point is it realistic to say, you know what? I kind of have 30 years of experience in this field and none in superheroism. I don't know that it's ever too late. I mean, that's kind of what really I figured you would say. Of course. Right. I mean, it, it, I mean, cause ultimately it's never too late to be happy. Right. It's never too late to be happy. And I would rather die poor and happy than rich and sad. It's just that plain and simple. Did you? I would rather go to my grave knowing that, you know, I dreamed a dream and I lived it than, you know, I dreamed a dream and I let it die and now I'm dead too and there's nothing I can do. Did you know that the old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks is completely false? Oh, totally false because my dog learns new tricks all the time, usually involving getting food off of a table, but you know. Humans and canines both could continue learning and continue changing habits uh, throughout their life. Yeah. So, definitely yeah. true. Well, and you know, but then again, I mean there's the, so you want to be a ge geologist, right? You know, what was it? What was it that kind of made you to, you know, kind of veer off into, you know, technology and, and such? Because I can tell you how I how I became a writer by way of technology, by way of being a writer. <laughs> I, I actually just wrote this exact topic up for uh, the Read and Trust magazine. Uh, and yeah. uh, and it really, it happened because we got a computer. Like yeah. when, when I was young, it was uh, picking up uh, rocks from the side of the road and eventually getting to a point where I was going on digs and collecting uh, crystals and formations from all around the world. Uh, it, it was magical for me, like the amount of effort I put into it and the, the payoff, like the delayed gratification involved with uh, like trading up and going to shows and finding exactly what I wanted was it, it, it held a real sense of accomplishment for me. And then we got a computer and then all of a sudden there was uh, there were logo programs to write. There were basic programs to write. There were Jumpman games to play, eventually King's Quest chapters to conquer. And and it just geology just kind of slowly faded away for me and tech became my thing. And then computer science happened uh, in high school. I started taking advanced classes in computer science and uh, going PSEO to the college. And I did a year at the U of M in computer science. Mm hmm. And then found myself uh, following a path you you mentioned earlier, where I decided art was way more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And in, mm -hmm. in the process of going to art school, I found that art based on computer science was of the most interest to me, and worked yeah. my way back to tech. Yeah, <laughs> kind of funny how that happened. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, I, I started off um, uh, as a writer. I uh, worked as a writer for a computer company. 
um, called Zeos. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, there were the you know three big made-to-order computer manufacturers. We're talking like you know the three eighty six, four eighty six, you know, Pentium ninety days, um, and that was Gateway, Dell, and Zeos. Those were the big three, um, and Zeos was based here in the Twin Cities. And uh, uh, this was back before email was this widely used thing. Um, if people did use email, it was generally intercompany inter- as opposed to intra. Um, right. And, uh, um, you know, it just, you know, if people had a complaint or, uh, you know, or were really happy with what they got or, you know, had a question or what have you, uh, oftentimes they would send a letter. And I was hired uh, in customer service to, uh, as the person who would write those replies. I would get all of the basically customer mail uh, and reply to it. Uh, and I happen to also be, you know, kind of techie. I just uh, used a little bit of inheritance from a uncle who had passed. I, I got $3,000, and so I used that $3,000 to buy the biggest, baddest computer I possibly could. Um, uh, it was a 48650 with 8 megs of RAM. Um, I mean, this was like when, like, 48650s had just, like, they had just come out. Um, and, uh, you know, ordered it from some, you know, generic company out of the back of some computer shopper, you know, cause, uh, you know, all the geeks knew back in the day, you never buy from the big three. No, nope, you build your own. Yeah. You can, you, you build your own and you, you know, you, you order it up from, you know, like basically if they can afford more than a quarter page ad in the back of computer sh- shopper. Avoid them like the plague. Yep. <laughs> you you want those eighth page ad guys. You want those quarter and, and they and they better be like somewhere in California, some small town you've never heard of, right? <laughs> because then you knew they had nothing else to do but to build your computer, right? And you built this thing, and it had. I mean, this thing was like a high tower case with a with both the the five inch and the three inch floppies and. Colorado 250 tape back up and uh, you know I mean this was just like for the time like when the box arrived you know cherubs descended from heaven <laughs> geeks came from miles around with frankincense and myrrh to pay their respects and um and so yeah I mean I was I was a you know had kind of a tech bent too but for me it was about you know oh I need a really nice computer for like BBSing uh, and sharing my stories and sharing some of the, some of the, you know, stuff I'm writing for zines on, on Citadel BBSs and such. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah. And, um, um, and so they kind of knew that at the computer company, they knew I had kind of a techie bent and the tech support guys, uh, um, came and, uh, wanted me to write a, basically a conversant tech support system, um, automated, tech support system because uh, the uh, big Pentium problem had happened. Um, the, the first Pentium chips that shipped, shipped with a floating point error literally in the microprocessor, in the chip. They had a bug. The chip itself had a bug. I recall um, that, yeah. yeah and, and so basically, um, you know, they, I mean, 
a million of these things shipped before Intel discovered this. Um, and so, for, especially for the big three, uh, tech support queue hold times in dealing with that problem once it exploded and amongst all the other normal regular tech support calls that they had. I mean, we're talking hours, hours on end. I mean, so um, one of the ways that uh, Gateway dealt with this was they um, they instituted this um, server serve yourself tech support system where while you're waiting in queue, you get this message that said, hey, we have an automated tech support system for our most common problems. If you're not calling about the Pentium thing, do you want to, you know, try that and see if it can help solve your problem? Yeah, sure. And you get out of the queue. You, you know, and maybe it fixes your problem. Well, Zeo thought this was a great idea. So we want one of those too, but it's mostly it's scripting. It's, it's someone who needs to actually write the, the things to say, right? And to basically lay it out, um, you know, map it out, write the scripts for the various blocks, and then once the, and then we'll get those scripts recorded by, you know, someone with a nice soothing voice. And, you know, you put the blocks in place and boom. Um, and so they came to me with this project. Uh, so I started off by backwards engineering gateway system by calling it. I, I, I kept calling and basically following the tree and figuring out how their tree was built. That gave me a tremendous amount of insight, not only into how to build Zeoses, but also in the problems with gateways. First of all, gateways had organized their um, their first options on that tree based not upon most common problems, but al- but alphabetically. Well, wow, that's a time waster. Yeah, why sure. not? Why why not listed according to the most common problems and save people? I don't know a, a couple of seconds. Um, but here's the other thing: it did. If at the end of the tree your problem wasn't solved you got dumped back to the beginning of the line at the queue. So after I mapped this out and everything else and, you know, had decided, okay, you know, I'm going to write mine up and da, 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 and I worked with tech support to figure out what the most common problems were and kind of basically how to troubleshoot those problems. It, it did two things. Number one, not only was I able to build the system, but now I basically knew what every tech support person knew. I knew how to troubleshoot any problem. Right, it taught me a tremendous amount about how to troubleshoot a Zeo's computer. So I could basically do their jobs because I had to learn their jobs in order to write this thing. Sure. Um, but second of all, so I went to the you know I, I you know, went and presented my my thing. I said, okay, well, you know, here's what I've done. Here's how I designed it and ordered according to most common problems. But I'd like to make a proposal that might seem kind of outlandish, but when I explained it, it'll it'll make sense. And that is that when people get to the end of this queue. You know, working with the tech support guys, they've told me they don't need to be dumped back into tech support. At that point, it's either an RMA for a repair or a return. And we could hire temps to do that, thus taking the load off of tech support. So if we get people to opt into this queue, basically we handle all the returns and repairs outside of tech support. And they were like all over that. They were just like, oh, my gosh, I think you just saved. I mean, it, this this idea literally cut the whole times at Zeos on calls from I mean, like two hours to something like an hour and three minutes. Right. 
I mean, it's just like, yeah, it was a huge difference, right? Yeah. And um, still, you're on hold for an hour. I can't oh, remember those days. Oh man, yeah. No, there were there were two. Sometimes it would peak at three. Wow. I'm not joking. It was crazy. In any case, so after that, after that, tech, the, the managers of tech support were like, hey, why don't you come, you know, over here and do tech, you know, work for us. You, we'll, we'll slot you right in at a level level two or level three, right? You don't have to start at the beginning because you, you know this stuff. You got a techie background. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a writer, man. I'm an artist. You know, I, this is what I want to do. I want to write, you know, and da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, but as a writer, you're making X and as a level two tech, we'll give you Y. <laughs> y being much, much larger than X. I assume being so. almost double what X was. And here I was, uh, you know, had a, a, a newborn son and, uh, you know, kind of recently married and wanting to do the quote unquote best thing for my family. So I made the choice I felt was right. And and I I think a lot of people, you know, do that, right? They start off to do the one thing and then life happens to them. Exactly. And then life tells them that, you know what, your dream is great and all, but we'll actually give you more money if you do this. Right. And, and we'll actually- that's not always adjusting your expectations for reality isn't always uh, like a soul killing Thing. If it is, then I think you should think twice about it. But sometimes, you know, you end up as a, a back-end web developer instead of a geologist, and um, you could be perfectly happy doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and at the same time, I mean, it, it's, you know, the fact is, is that if geology really was your thing and still your thing, I mean, that's the sort of thing that you could still be doing. Right. I mean, I think that that's the um, one of the beautiful things about the world we live in today. Right. Is that there's a tremendous opportunity provided by the technology, provided by the Internet, that we don't have to be any one thing like two thirds of my income comes from my writing. Sure. But I also have a technical consulting business. Right. Mm -hmm. My my wife is a nonprofit business manager, um, a grant writer, a um, um, she does work in historic preservation, um, and she is the um, president of a um, of a community um, organization. Right? I mean, she's got all of these jobs that she um, kind of. Little bit here, little bit there, little bit there snowballs into a really good income, right? I mean, you know, she makes double what I did, what I make, right? And and that's one of the beauties of the world that we live in right now is that we really can, we don't have to be necessarily any one thing. We can be a lot of things and make a little bit of money at all of those things. Definitely. All right, I got to jump into sponsor two so we can get to our top All three right. picks. Sounds great. All right, uh, MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. 
They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or a laptop. And importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted. You can also personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. And there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. And here we are at the top three picks. The top three picks. All right. So... Um, one, so Quicksilver yeah. recently finally came out of, uh, beta, beta after which like 10 after, years, you know, 10 years or something. Right. You know, I, yeah, it's been a very long time. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It got a lot of hatred, I think a, a little bit more from my, from my techie friends because everyone's like moved on to alpha or, or Alfred and, and whatnot. Right. And Alfred's great and all, and that's, uh, you know, but, man, I still use Quicksilver. I still believe in Quicksilver. I never gave up on Quicksilver. A diehard fan. A diehard fan. Well, and not only that, but also just, like, muscle memory. Like, I didn't want to have to retrain myself into a whole new way of doing and thinking, right? That's why I'm still using LaunchBar, even though Alfred is very enticing to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you you find that one thing and you use it and you, you know, I mean, because LaunchBar is another one of those, right? I mean, LaunchBars have been around for like eons. Yes, I mean, it's but been it, has, for- it has had stable updates far more often than Quicksilver <laughs> has. Uh, yeah, this is true. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be like that guy. Um, yes, but I'm still a big fan of Quicksilver. Um, one of the main things I use it for is um, I, I keep what I uh, now call a spark file. Um, I used to call it a daily log, but basically um, it's this text file that um, I uh, keep in the NVALT uh, database, by the way. Um, and um, I prepend to it. Like when I have like ideas about the book or, I mean, even just like, you know, here's, you know, here's what I just got finished working on. So I can kind of keep track of what I'm doing throughout my day. Um, interesting, but disposable links I will put in there. Um, you know, uh, accomplishments, achievements, thoughts. I don't know, whatever. I will just put it in there. One of the, the, the main way I do that is with the Quicksilver period trip trick where I, you know, invoke Quicksilver with command space and type period. And that gives me the, uh, this little text field that I can write in. I then have a text expander, um, snippet called D log, which formats the, the, uh, you know, formats that, that field the way that I want. Cause I want a, a date and time stamp and then a couple of spaces and log and dash and da, da, da. And then I, you know, so I do D log and then I start typing boom. And then when I'm finished, I bring it back to the uh, command mode, prepend text, spark file, boom. And I mean, this is, man, I mean, this is something that I do, like even just describing it now, I actually had to do it because I don't think about it. I don't think about how it happens. It just does. And that that's kind of the way that we want our computers to work for us, right? Right. <laughs> that's how we the, the relationship that we want to form with our tools, where we don't have to think about how they work. 
they just become an extension of us, an extension of how we think. And and that's my biggest fear of switching away from to anything else is that Quicksilver is that way, way for me now. I've used it for so long that it's an extension of the way that I think. I'm going mean, to go ahead. No, I was going to say similar to Markdown, right? Markdown's like that for me. Well, I think everything, everything that becomes uh, any that integrates into your muscle memory is uh, default uh, loyal. Uh, you become a loyal customer or user. Yeah, I'm going to counter your your pick with uh, it was my third pick, but since you mentioned Quicksilver, um, my first pick will be uh, AlfredWorkflow.com. I, I don't okay. know how much you've seen of Alfred 2, but it has uh, this whole system know. where you can build kind of automator-esque workflows that can involve scripting and they can involve feedback. Like it can send menu options back to Alfred. So you can have like multiple choice selection. You can build logic in based on that. And then it can output an array of different, you know, a lot like a Quicksilver action, but with a mm-hmm. lot more logic involved. And this site, uh, Alfred Workflow, is gathering uh, all of the amazing workflows that have been coming out in in droves ever since this version of Alfred came out. Um, so, you know, I like I said, I'm still a launch bar user, but this Alfred 2 thing is really blowing me away. I've actually been yeah. writing my own actions, even though I'm not using them yet. <laughs> That's so Brett Turner. <laughs> but yeah, so that'll be my first pick. And then I'll let you go ahead and do your second instead of waxing on about Alfred too. Oh, well, so another thing I've been using and it's become tremendously uh, helpful. Um, I'm not normally a mind map sort of guy. Yeah, I think that there's two types of people. There's like mind map people and outline people. And I'm an outline person. I'm I've I've been an Omni Outliner fan for like forever. Like seriously. But um uh the guy or guys or gals or whatever at uh, literature and latte oh, um yeah. Scrivener. Yep. Um came out with this new product that's still in beta it's not been officially released and in case you haven't learned with my first pick i will use a beta like it's you know not going to i don't care what they call it if they want to call it beta that's fine as long as they keep working on it right um uh but uh it's called scapel yeah. uh s-c-a-p-p-l-e and it's Kind of a mind map tool, kind of not. Um, it's a concept map tool. A concept map tool, sure, but not necessarily. Doesn't have to be. I mean, one of the things I like about it is that it works a lot like a sheet of paper where you can just like take this big sheet of paper and start just writing on it. And then Think about the connections later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think about the organization and the connections later. So, you know, you can just, you know, double click on this thing and start writing a new note and then, you know, double click somewhere else and, you know, just get all of your ideas out on paper. Right. And then and the other thing I like about it is that the canvas is kind of infinite. I mean, you can just keep going on this thing. Right. There's not like, oh, you're stuck inside this box. It's like you can go anywhere. Um, 
And then you can start dragging and dropping those things, stacking them on top of each other and moving them around and deciding how you want those connections to play out. Um, and that's been tremendously um, useful because I don't always necessarily see the connections between a lot of these subjects and thoughts until, you know, I start, you know, really looking at them or discussing them or whatever, you know, like I didn't really see the, the connection, for instance, that earlier between, you know, teamwork in the, you know, Gork challenge sense and that kind of deemed teamwork that can be detrimental on our jobs. Right. You're uh, welcome. You're, you, thank you. No, it's really, <laughs> no, and it's that kind of insight. And this is the reason why you, you asked me before we started, if I minded talking about the fourth book, no, I've got to talk about it because unless I talk about it, I don't get to steal all of those insights that other people see. Right. You know, I don't get to make those connections all by, you know, I mean, it, it makes a, better book for it. So yeah, Scapple is really interesting. I think they're they're doing something very interesting as far as uh, mind mapping, concept mapping goes. Awesome. Check it out. I have actually been using it. Um, I like it because it is kind of a halfway between uh, freeform outlining and a mind map. And yeah. uh, I do understand what you're saying. But we could argue that for a long time as far as the effectiveness of, of various brainstorming methods, but we won't because <laughs> we're, we're getting close to time. So I'm going to do pick number two. Can I go back in time? Like you did yeah, with Quicksilver? Sure. Of course. This is an older app that was, it's been updated to work all the way up through mountain lion, but it hasn't changed in functionality at all. It's called teleport. And I just set up a brand new air and literally moved my workstation from a Mac pro onto an air. Uh, but I keep I, I have a lot of things that I run on the Mac Pro because it's my always on server. So things like Slogger and all of my uh, like automatic tagging things that pick up from Dropbox and handle filing and everything. They still run on my Mac Pro. So I have one monitor now that is uh, it's a vertical. Uh, it's like rotated 90 degrees and it sits on the side of my desk. And then I have a 27 inch display in the middle. And then I just have my air on the side. Um and I'm not even using the air screen real estate. I may just dock it. But anyway, teleport running on my Mac Pro and my uh, air allows me to connect the Mac Pro's monitor to my 27 inch monitor seamlessly as if they were the same machine. So when my mouse hits the left side of my 27 inch monitor, it's just controlling the Mac Pro. My mouse and keyboard suddenly are controlling a different machine. Oh, wow. And then okay. just moving the mouse back across the divide between the two monitors just brings my keyboard control back. So I can use two different machines as if they were the same machine as far as that keyboard, mouse, and, and visual goes. Fascinating. If I had two machines, I'd <laughs> use that. Yeah, that, that's a prerequisite is two machines in the same room. But yeah, like I've always used it with my – like I've always had like a MacBook pro and uh and a desktop and i've used it for a long time but it's proving itself extremely handy right now so i'll link that and with the warning the caveat that it is not a brand new app and it's not highly maintained but it is perfectly functional yeah really i mean cool. and that's the thing right as long as it works i mean yeah unless you're investing work. unless you're investing a lot of um thought or time into it and 
it has the potential to disappear with the next OS update. Yeah. Um, like I, I, oh, in a case like that, I always have a backup plan. Like I don't yeah. do anything that's so vital that I couldn't use my computer should yeah. it go away. You, you know, you know what's like that for me that I'm kind of afraid of tagging. No. Um, <laughs> um, uh, launch bar X. I'm, I'm, not, I'm sorry. Uh, what is it? No, it's not default folder X. No, no, not default folder X. It's, um, oh shoot. Now I got to go into my system preferences because, uh, the, the name is totally, uh, escaping me. Um, but, uh, basically, uh, light, I'm sorry, light switch X is what it is. Uh, light switch X is freaking been abandoned for years now. I mean, pretty much. Um, and I've been using it since Mac OS nine. Like uh, they, it was light switch on Mac OS nine, and you know Mac OS ten point oh, uh, they came out with light switch X, and uh, I mean I absolutely rely on it because I'm one of those one app at a time people. I I hate the clutter of lots of windows tiled on top of each other and whatnot from various different apps, like, you know, like is normally the case on a Mac. Um, and so the the main thing that I use light switch X for is hide on switch. It's got a feature that allows you to, when you switch applications, it hides all the windows from the other applications. So I only ever see one application at a time, which on 11 inch, 11 inch MacBook Air, you know, but it's one of those things that every time I upgrade the OS, it's like, oh my God, let this work, let this work, let this work, let this work. Because I don't really know if there's a if there's a comparable backup. I know I've heard of, oh, geez, what's the one with the little ghost icon? I forget what it's that, called. That one hasn't but been updated for a long way. Yeah. There's yeah, a n- quiet. You might, you might appreciate quiet. Quiet? Okay. Yeah, and LaunchBar also has a hide-on switch. You can use LaunchBar as an application switcher, and it'll hide everything when you switch to an app. Oh, dude. Better I'm, Touch Tool has some features oh, like that, too. man, I'm sorry you told me that because, <laughs> because like, seriously, like, if Light Switch X ever breaks, that almost might be reason enough for, alone for me to, to move to LaunchBar, for God's sakes. Okay. All right, so Quiet, you say? I knew if anyone would know, you would know. In yeah, any case, this Quiet's has nothing on the app store. store. Pick 2.5, okay? Um, and that's not one I would recommend because seriously, like I said, it could break at any second. I have no knowledge whether it works on Mountain Lion or not because I haven't upgraded Mountain Lion, largely because I'm afraid to because of stuff like that. All right. Um, for my final pick, um, we're going to move to iOS. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about moves. Okay. Moves. I'm not familiar with that one. Moves. Now, I wasn't familiar about it either until a few days ago when um, I read about it online, and uh, I can't remember from who. And and now it's going to drive me crazy. But it's the uh, the guy who uh, was uh, the uh, design director at uh, New York Times and uh, Qua Qua. Uh, oh, geez, what's his name? Uh, K Qua. Uh, Quisa Tarak. Vin? Qua Vin? Qua. Yeah, I can't. In any case, case, uh, I'm digressing, which (laughs) I do a lot. So, what Moves does is this Moves is free, it's an iOS app. You install it, you activate it, you allow it to, you know, get your location or whatnot. 
and it tracks your steps. And it presents that data to you beautifully. It's a step counter. It, it's it's like a little Fitbit, um, except just the steps. Like does, a it, pedometer. does it map them or is it just a pedometer? It maps them. It okay. shows you where. It, you know, it, it allows you to map it. But this, the way that it presents the data that is just, just beautiful. Absolutely stunning. Um, and it requires, like, literally, you set this thing and you forget it. And it's, you know, uses the, you know, built-in stuff in your phone and you keep your phone in your pocket and it tells you when you're walking with your phone or when you're holding it in your hand and walking. It can even track that. It's called transporting. Um, You know, so here's, you know, yesterday I walked uh, 4,663 steps, um, you know, and it shows me where I walked and transported and with little, little maps um, and it shows me kind of where I am and kind of gives this beautiful little map. Um, Do they look like the Marauders map from Harry Potter? Because <laughs> that, if no one has ever made that, that would be awesome. Dude, that should be a plugin. This was support <laughs> plugins. Like you should like be able to choose your own maps. Yes. Mischief so, managed. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way that it presents the data that is just beautiful. And, you know, once again, I think it's part of this whole thing that uh, actually my friend uh, Kyle Baxter coined this term, and I love it, um, uh, is uh, unconscious computing. Um, it, it, the Fitbit falls into this, the Nike Fuel Band, but in, in many ways Google Glass does. And it's this promise that, um, you know, that there's, and this is a space I think is just exploding right now. Um, and it's really interesting. And I think that more and more, um, like this is the next big thing is, is this idea that computers should, um, require next to no interaction from us. Right. Or that, that interaction should be, you know, like we've discussed kind of muscle memory. Um, and that's, uh, you know, but yet present data to us, collect data, do things for us in meaningful ways, um, and, and give us the ability to then, you know, kind of use that stuff, right? Like um, one of the things that Google, about Google Glass, I think no one's really picking up on because they're looking at how ugly the darn things are and how intrusive the darn things are, have the potential to be. But take all that away. I think one of the biggest promises of stuff like that is, you know, wouldn't you love the ability to say, you know, wow, that was a really important conversation I just had with my boss. I should capture that. Boom. It's saved as a video to your hard drive. Even better. One of the, one of the promises it's been around for, I'd say 15 years. Uh, The MIT wearable computer division Mm -hmm. started talking about like, Basically, they were talking about what became Google Glass, and it was the ability to meet somebody in a location, mm-hmm. and then next time you're in that location and that person is detected, pops up and reminds you their children's names, reminds yes. you what your conversation was, <laughs> yes. main topics. Oh like, that stuff would be Dude, invaluable just, to me. Just r- remind me of their name, because I'm terrible. <laughs> exactly. With it, right? That's all I need. Like, that... It alone is a thousand dollar feature to me. Right? Yes. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, if that's all these things did, I'd be on board, right? Yeah. Well, an Evernote Hello is is like if you could integrate the the Evernote Hello application with like this unconscious kind of computing, so you didn't even have to make the effort to build the contacts, you you you'd be golden. Right. You can make a ton and, of money on that. And I think that the, the this is the thing that oftentimes uh, gets overlooked in these conversations and how important this is and how this really is the future. We just need to design it in such a way that we're comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. You know, we have to design it in such a way that it serves us in the ways that we need it to serve us and not in the creepy ways that Google thinks it needs to serve us. Right. Um, um, you know, cause I would love to be able to, to, to as you know, easily as I you know, wow, that was a that was a great moment. I would love to be able to have a snapshot of that and have it just happen. And right, well, and, and eventually you get into like Sterling and Gibson and and Stevenson and these like subdermal implants and replacement <laughs> eyes and chips that you can insert behind your ear, um, and like you get to the point where we are we are like gargoyle cyborg types but if we can make it safe and fashionable (laughs) this stuff could really take off safe and fashionable (laughs) yeah those don't always go hand in hand but no but i just i love that idea right like you know it's gotta look cool right that's rule number one it's gotta look cool i seem Um, to be the only person i've ever met who really is intrigued by the idea of a, a glowing subdermal like like in my forearm, being able to tap my skin and have like an LCD display come through that shows me like time and blood pressure and heart rate. And oh, that would be well, I mean, one of the things I know, um, uh, not only working on, but actually exist, I believe, um, at um, and Medtronic is, uh, I believe, big behind this is, um, uh, they the have devices now for like people who've had heart attacks and whatnot, like the p- pacemakers, defibrillators, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, have um, chips in them that can detect when a heart attack happens before it happens. Sure. Like they can read the signs, this, that, and the other, and literally like – you know, you can have an EMT show up at your door saying <laughs> you're about to have a heart attack. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though, right? And like, how valuable would that be? So it'd be like the, uh, I the would hospital totally of minority up. report. Yeah, no, but I would totally <laughs> sign up for that. As someone who comes from um, a strong history of heart issues on both sides, I mean, one of the reasons that – one of the things that is motivating me um, to do these things like the Gorak Challenge, I'm running my first half marathon at the end of April, and I've really gotten my myself into shape. I went from like someone who rarely exercised at all to someone who you know, is able to do these things is because of a conversation I had with my dad's cardiologist when he was in the hospital. And that cardiologist basically told me, you're – you're almost already too late. You need to start like now, right? Hmm. Um, you know, and you might have some chance of not ending up in this bed when you're when you're 63, right? Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, and so, yeah, if that were something that like a chip that they could just like, you know, shoot into me with a, you know, simple, you know, outpatient, uh, you know, day procedure, 
sign me up. I'm there. I don't sure. care what us, right? Because yeah. I because I know I'm predisposed to it, and I would much rather have someone monitoring and you know have the ability to detect that stuff before it happens, than to I don't know have it happen and have a more even more expensive bill and stay and maybe even be dead. I, I'd sign me up as well. Yeah. All right. So you've got one more. And then we, I we do. Kind of wrap this up. We've been talking chat, 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 chat. Um, let's see. I think along, we talked about art earlier. So I think my final pick is going to be color schemer studio and its companion on iOS, which I think is color schemer touch, which sounds right, but I, I'll make sure the show notes have the right link, but it's, it's a, it's a tool for designing color uh, schemes. Uh, like actual combinations of colors that are based on theory and your own personal adjustments. And it has a ton of tools. It can read uh, colors from images and build uh, palettes from that. And you can uh, view all of your uh, colors on a wheel and have them adjust in uh, relationship to each other as you, as you rotate one through the wheel and uh, the Portable, the iOS version is has all the same kind of, like you can snap a picture of something you like and then pull the colors out of it to create a palette. And then you can share the palette. It integrates with color lovers. And so for anyone doing design, web design, uh, painting, it's an amazing tool. I highly recommend this one. I've been using it for years. They came out with version two, I think it was last year. And it's working perfectly on all platforms for me. And I love it. Yeah. Sounds interesting. I'll have to take a look at that. All right. Well, well, well so we should, we should probably wrap this up. Eh? Yep. And I have one more sponsor and ah, okay. it is actually one of my favorite companies. Um, uh, do you, you ever use PDF pen? No, but okay. I, 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 I don't work enough with PDFs. Uh, I rarely have to like do anything with them, but boy, I've heard good, good things about that. I'll tell you all about it. All right. PDF Pen is the powerful all-purpose PDF editing tool from Smile Software. If you need to do anything with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. You can add a signature, make changes to text and images, correct a typo, fill out forms, and that's only the beginning. If you have a scanned document, PDF Pen includes OCR so you can convert it into text that can be searched, copied, and corrected. Want to remove sensitive info such as tax ID numbers from your PDF before sharing it? PDF Pen can perform redaction, removing the information you want to keep private. The big news is that PDF Pen 6 is now available, and the new features make it more powerful and easier to use than ever. The interface and tools have been updated and improved, and you can now export your PDFs to Microsoft Word format for sharing or editing. If you want to see the new features in action, check out the great video by my friend David Sparks over at smilesoftware.com slash 5 by 5 uh, you can buy PDF Pen for $60 in the Mac App Store, or you can get it directly from Smile. Uh, you can buy PDF Pen Pro for $100 and get advanced features like form creation tools and document permission settings. Find out more at smilesoftware.com slash 5 by 5 All right. Yeah. And Patrick, you're on Twitter. Uh, are you I am still, on Twitter. Are you actively using Twitter? I, I use Twitter. I mean, uh, I use Twitter more for kind of promotional sort of stuff at this point. I, uh, you know, letting people 
know when I've posted something new to PatrickRowan.com or Minimum Mac and so having you, discussion around that. But I, I, I don't know if it's conversations people wish to have with me, like real honest to goodness conversations. App.net is a far better place. For so that for what are writing. your, what are your so, handles on both? I'm Patrick Rohn everywhere. P-A-T-R-I-C-K-R-H-O-N-E everywhere. Twitter, app.net, patrickrone.com, patrick at patrickrone.com for email. I mean, you type that in, you're going to get to me just about anywhere. All right. And patrickrone.com is where, uh, is your kind of hub for your online presence then? Yeah. I mean, I, I post there daily, um, every day. I'm committed to that. Um, there's lots of uh, stuff that I hope is uh, interesting to people there. Um, you know, it's not just me Instagramming my food or something like that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, like that. And of course, minimal Mac is uh, still going strong, um, and appears to be popular with the kids. So I, I think I'll keep doing that too. Awesome. I love minimal Mac. Um, <laughs> And I am TT Scoff everywhere. And uh, you can find me at brettterpstra.com or T, T, I forget. Just go to brettterpstra.com. I'll get, the, I'll, I'll get this all straight someday. But um, but thanks so much for being here, Patrick. Oh, my pleasure, man. I, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Dave, Dave Kayla wrote this thing about uh, one of the great things about our job is that we like developers are like rock stars to us right and that like we get to have relationships with them and like get to talk to them and stuff and that's like one of the best things about our job and that's certainly true of me and especially you i think you're probably i mean you have no idea on how many ways you touch my computing life oh thank you so thank you very very much this is completely my honor my pleasure all right and that is episode 38 with patrick roan and we will be back in a week